Hello, this is Jim the Keys bartender coming to you on a special Saturday episode. It's recorded, so don't call in. Uh, it is a, once again, one of those, I guess it would be typical for December days here. It's in the 70s and a little cloudy and rainy in the Florida Keys, but we're, uh, one thing I had, uh, what was, it, what was I writing? Uh, the, uh, I, uh, I'm always amazed that I was able to get most of my Christmas shopping done and most of the wrapping done now. I guess that's a function of age, right? What are we, uh, you know, what's, what's age good for except being able to bring you some, settle you down some, you know, be able to get things done, become finally become organized when you don't have a million things going through your eyes, and, you know, to your head. Um, at the forefront of a lot of things is your family, taking care of your family. For me, it's uh, uh, that, and then I have my health. I've been, yesterday I, I had gone to see a third doctor to get a... Uh, another opinion and hopefully a closer date for a surgery and then I got a call from my second doctor who uh, the, the surgical coordinator actually for the doctor, the second doctor I had uh, the you series you heard all about the, my travails with my uh, uh, medical issues, I was trying to get a mass removed, I hate saying the tumor but it is a tumor it's a neoplasm, and they tell me in the beginning, if you don't take care of it, there's always a possibility of it becoming something serious. So I took it to heart, and every successive doctor I went to said, take care of it, and I became focused on it. And a little too focused. When I was younger and drinking, I would just ignore some of the problems I had. Hell, if I didn't pay my taxes, I, won't pay, I didn't pay my taxes, and I ended up getting hit with uh, a big tax bill. And shit like that. I was always good at procrastinating. And uh, right now, I have become worlds better at taking care of business. But the problem is that when you're working, as you change, not everyone changes at the same rate. So uh, just today, my daughter was away with a, uh, on a, very, I guess, it was called Pathfinders. It was up in, uh, it was something her school group went up with, and they, they did it, you know, they, it was out in the country. They had uh, practice, supposedly they were practicing social distancing and things like that. I know it sounds crazy right now to do it, but uh, you have to weigh your precautions with, the threat and um, the harm we could have done to our daughter by not allowing her to hang out with her friends, her whole co cohort of friends that are in school that were going on a trip. It was only 7th and 8th graders, and it wasn't all the 7th and 8th graders. So they had small groups stuck together. Um, they go to school all the time together, so I guess... That's the meaning of a cohort. They're, whatever's going to happen, it's going to happen between them. But uh, they they went up for 
was Tuesday. It was Tuesday, and she called us every day, and we'd see her on her uh, video call. And then she comes home last night, and first thing uh, she does is goes over to her friend's house for a sleepover. I know. There's a pandemic going on, Jim. Why are you allowing your daughter to do that? And I go, well, there's... They wear you down. They wear you down. There's nothing you can do about it. You know, you can, they can end up eating you when all their other friends are doing it. And none of, the, they're, none of them are feeling any repercussions. And they just... I mean, if you've had a teenager in your house, you'd be able to imagine what it's like if you try to tell one you can't do what everyone else is doing. Uh, it's just like, uh, that's the reason why they put, do the mask mandates in different localities. Because they don't put it on the business owner say, well, listen, when you come into this business, you have to wear a mask. Well, no one else does. And then, so you become the bogeyman or bo bogeywoman or whatever, something like that. The target of derision. So the same thing goes with parents. You have to weigh what they're doing, when they're doing it, and how the repercussions are going to be with dealing with them. So there was, you know, these, they act like you're scoring them for, lives when you, for life when you're restricting what they're doing. Say, I'm sorry, you can't go there. You have, you can't, there's no concerts right now, thank God, but... You can't do that. You can't go to a water park. You can't do this. You can't, you know. But you try to restrict it to outdoor activities. Unfortunately, down here, when she goes over to a party or something like that, when it's a smaller group of girls and stuff like that, they go, they hang out by the pool. They hang outside. It's not, it's not indoor. Most of their activities afterwards, like during the night, they are. So, yeah, call me a hypocrite, but. You know, there's such a thing as peace in your home. And plus, I'm a bartender. Abby's a nail tech. So we come in contact with people all the time. So try to explain to your 14-year-old that she can't see her friends or go on a trip when the whole school's still going on a trip. Florida is living in some kind of fairyland bubble. At least the keys are where people are coming down here and they're going like, well, I spoke this about this the, the last episode. What's, why isn't there more people here? Well, because a lot of people realize that it's very dangerous out there. And they don't want to get sick. They don't want to pick up this thing and they don't want to spread it to the people they care about. But it's funny, with you, your, your child goes away for four or five days. I guess it's a precursor going away for college and things like that. They go away for four days and they voluntarily go for, again for another day. And I called up my daughter to see if she was done with her sleepover. It was around noon. And I said, hey, I thought maybe you'd want to come home and hang out. And I just, as the words were coming out of my mouth, I realized that the 14-year-old's uh, motivation to hang out with people definitely the lion's share of her desire was to hang out with her people her own age and not to come and talk to dad talk about school work and things coming up 
So I, I rationally understand that, that a 14-year-old girl would rather hang out with her friends than hang out with her 57-year-old dad. Emotionally, I thought, wow, I thought you may, you know, you may want to see me. But you, you can't pull that guilt trip. You can tell them, say, like, I understand. I understand. You know, I, I feel like telling them, I said, Lee, you don't really understand. Sometimes when you were young, or even nowadays, you're not that fun to hang out with. You know, when you're upset about something that you don't want to talk about. I'm sure it's the same for guys and girls. The only experience I have, I mean, living with someone is this one I have. I can read about all the other ones. I can see it on a TV show and things like that. But once you experience what it's like to live with someone who has things going on that they don't want to talk about, even though you want to ask them what's the problem, please tell me. I'd like to know. So this way I can understand why you're being difficult or being moody or being or not eating. You know, did someone someone say, you know, you, they won't tell you. So they're not that fun to hang out with. And I think they think when they're depressed and they don't want to be with their friends, that's an adequate amount of time. They'll just give it while well, I hang out with my family then. Yeah, I'm all depressed. I'll just hang out with them and go in my room and be silent. And they think that's a good thing. I mean, if I thought that was good enough for my family, if I came home and I was, I, you know, you know how it is when you're not feeling so hot and you're around the people you care most about and they go, well, what's, I mean, it's to put on a smile and be upbeat is, is, such a chore to do it all the time. You just got to be remember. I mean, this is the therapy I do talking about it. I think about it. I go, geez, I got to take care of what I need to take care of. Like if I'm bummed out about my surgery, I lost. Oh God, it's, I'm working towards tw losing 20 pounds. I, mean, I was up at my high point during the pandemic. I was at 343 and now I'm knocking on the door at 223. And a lot of that has to do with just uh, I am working out more than I was in the midst of the pandemic and eating a little healthier. Obviously, I haven't had a drink. It'll be next week. It'll be uh, a week from today. It'll be one year. Uh, that the, the, the weight loss was also can be I attributed to the anxiety I feel over trying to schedule a surgery and have these rotating dates popping in and out for when the surgery comes about. So right now, I'm looking at December 28th. And it's funny, I was talking to a surgical coordinator, and says, listen, you got to get this done, blah, 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 blah. I said, well, shit, I've been trying to get this done for seven months. Don't tell me, I've been through a lot of practice things. They said, well, you got to go and get this done, this done, this done, this done, so you can get it cleared for surgery. And I said, I know this, I've done it. This is my 10th date or 11th date. I'm not even counting. It's just just like when you are you had a frequent, let's say you had a, a intimate, frequent intimate encounters with different people. After a certain amount of people, you're like, after 40, you're like, oh, I, can't, I, I lost count. I can't remember. Well, the same goes with the surgical dates. 
you know, I have a date. I have a date I need to go on, but I really don't want to go on. That's my surgical date. It's ironic I put that there. A date's a date. I got to get ready for it. It's like getting all spiffed up. And, you know, they told me, listen, you're going to have to, uh, the night before the surgery, you're going to have to uh, fast, not drink whatever coffee or whatever. And, and the, the, the day or two before, you got to use antibacterial soap all over your body to try to get, make sure you, you have all staph germs off you so they're not on the surface of your skin. I guess mostly it's... a you know, in the area they're going to be operating. And the last doctor I went to see, he went into detail about all the things that go wrong and about the scar that's going to be left and about all the cosmetic things you'll have to do about reattaching a muscle from further back in the neck to come. And I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. But I guess I've been through it enough that you're used to anxiety. It's like being a guy that comes out of a, I guess, prehistoric Cro-Magnon, let's say, and you're in, let's say, in the foothills of the Alps, and you're in a cave, and every morning you go, fuck, I got to get up, and there's a good chance there's a bear or a saber-toothed tiger out there. I'm going to have to battle it, right? I make sure I got to be ready with my rock and my spear, and I got to, so that's what this doing a surgery. It's like, ah, oh, there's a good chance this surgery is going to take place, so i got to be careful. i got to do this, 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 and this. Remember, folks, there was one day I was all ready for surgery. I was got the, I'm all ready. I'd go and work out the day before because I know I'm not going to be able to work out for at least seven, eight days, ten days. Maybe, I, they're saying a couple of weeks, but I know there's moderate exercise and stuff. If I can go back to work in two weeks, that means I can do moderate exercise because work is work. So, coming back from the gym, and that's when I get the phone call that the first doctor had a medical issue, and he's still at the, as we speak. This is three months ago, two, two and a half months ago. He uh, he's still not performing surgery. He may not do surgeries um, ever again. So that was that was the five. I think it was five of the dates. Five of the dates was under the first doctor, and uh, four, no, yeah, five or six were the first doctor. Four were the last doctor, second doctor, and then the third doctor. So we're we're looking at that, and you're you're pre- you're ready. It's just like going through the drill all the time. Every time you drill, I'm going to say, "Wow, I'm ready for it." I'm thinking about it. The night before, uh, the first time I got close to surgery I was a little nervous but after you do things a bunch of times it really doesn't really matter it's like I guess it's like that prehistoric man coming out and say well yeah there's probably there could be good chances saber-toothed tiger or by a bear out there so I better be ready for this and uh, just like preparing surgery we're going to go we're going to go in we're going to do this we're going to do that and I thought about it the whole time and where the scar is going to be. Tell, I, you know, I had three separate doctors tell me exactly where they're going to cut me, how they're going to pull the skin up along my face. So it's not as, you're not as nervous for that. I didn't know how we got there from here dealing, dealing with the things we have to deal with and trying to 
deal with the expectations of a 14-year-old girl. And the same thing goes for her mother. Her mother, uh, she, she gets into kind of a sometimes contentious relationship with her daughter, and I'm kind of like the peacemaker sometimes. Sometimes she gets, obviously sometimes Sky's derision is directed at me. You know, I'm at the point if you have a cell phone, you don't have to have it at your fingertips constantly, but, you know, within an hour or so, if you don't call back using a cell phone, the point of having a cell phone becomes more moot, I explained to her. She understands. The nice thing about, I know people say 14-year-olds are worse and stuff. Uh, It's easier to rationalize with a 14-year-old than it is with a 7-year-old. I know there's some reasonable 7-year-olds out there, but they're few and far between. So explaining to a a 14-year-old and say, listen, this is the deal. And you're going to come up with a... uh, a decision why you can't do it because your phone was that this and that and part of the thing we remedy that with you know giving her things that would make sure that her phone wasn't dead and that it won't break down and it won't you know if you drop it in you know a waterproof case this that you got a brand new phone it's not gonna so you know you're trying to be preventative with their excuses and then they're gonna come they're thinking persons and they're it's like a 14-year-old turning into 15, I think, a uh, girl or guy, they, they're practicing to be litigators. And every time they come up, there's an issue. That's a case. And they're handling their rebuttals. They're the defense. And the parents are the prosecutors. And we come in and say that this... You know, say, listen, we told you that you were going to go, you were going to have to do your homework and clean your room before you go to the sleepover. And while I cleaned the room, you didn't tell me exactly how to clean it. I didn't clean the areas that maybe you wanted. And this is actually things that were said, I, but I did clean it. And this is what I'm happy with the way it is. And the homework, well, uh, that's not due till like next week. But, and then you say, well, no, we're going to say you did some homework, not the homework that was due tomorrow. And that's, you know, that's the give and take. So we're actually training, we're training our 14-year-old to knock down our accusations. That's what we're doing. Every time we do it, it's like this. So if you set up the, for me, it's, with the phone and say, set up the expectations. And I say to her, hey, listen, we gave you the phone. You know, make sure it's charged because, uh, because when we're, we want to get a hold of you. So let's say you want to go and do something and you call us and you want to get picked up. She goes, well, that's the reason why. And she'll come up like this. The future argument would be, well, that's why when I'm 16, it's most important that I get out of my car. And I said, you know what? That's a good argument. That is a really good argument. But unfortunately, you have to set, you have to be responsible enough to be able to have a car. And being responsible means being able to handle these tasks that we give you before you need to, these benchmarks you have to meet. And it's exactly what I talked to. 
so she knows it. I want her to know that so when she gets into a meeting and stuff like that, she knows how exactly how to say it and stuff like that. And whenever she has a disagreement with me, I can always uh, sometimes her point her point may be something I disagree with, her initial point. But it's how she constructs her defense that's more concerning to me a lot of times. As long as it's not an issue where something really heinous, something bad. Like when she, she uh, I'm not giving away anything she said to me yet, but uh, yet. I'm not saying in the future I won't, because I may be able to use this. I might be able to use this. But she, I can tell you what was said prior to her telling me things. She says, Dad, I, I want to tell you something, but you got to promise not to get mad. And then I'll say, that's not a really good precursor to what you're going to say, because it sounds like you're already making it big. But I say, you don't have to promise to get mad. You should say, Dad, you can, you got to promise not to be irrational. Okay? Because I'm never violent, so she doesn't have to promise. You don't have to make me promise that. Nothing's going to happen violent. Unless I have to protect someone or something like that, but that's... Never, never violent. So she, I, I go and say, listen, did whatever you're going to tell me, did you do something intentionally mean or hurtful to someone or really hurtful to yourself or really dangerous? And she sit back and look. She goes, no, nope, uh, none of them were really dangerous or hurtful or bad. And say, did you do it, do it to someone or did someone do something to you? She goes, no, no, neither one of those. I said, proceed. And she goes and tells me something. And at the end, I go, oh, okay. Well, I understand what you, okay, yeah. Well, see, we perfectly, so you know the criteria. You should never, I don't want you to ever do anything to hurt someone or hurt yourself or put yourself in danger. Now, even if she put herself in danger, me getting irrational and angry and stuff like that, it's not going to solve that either way. So that's something I would have to deal with. So uh, I, I appreciate her offering. And I told her, I said, listen, I'm much more thankful that you felt you could tell me this. And I, you know, whatever she told me, I said, I don't expect you to do that in the future. I understand that you, you know, once we deny something to you, you want to want to do it. But you know, there's some, there's reasons for it. There's reasons for not being able to do everything you want. Uh, there's, yeah, there, there's reads, there's agreements we have with people and stuff like that. And that happens almost anywhere, especially down here. I mean, it's no different down here than it would be in Minnesota, uh, California, Alaska, Things like that. It's just like a different surrounding. And the one thing down here we got to watch out, especially with parents down here. And it could have been me too, was the amount, and probably not so different in other places, it's the amount of carelessness when it comes to substance and substance abuse. And uh, there's communities where that happens more and happens less. And there's no protection, no matter how religious you are. I mean, even among the Amish, right? 
they got their rumspringing. That's where young people, before they're fully initiated in their faith, they get to go and sow their wild oats. I, if you're not aware of that, there was a, there was a show on uh, A&E, I think, one of these reality shows, where you had, they follow these kids around who are former um, uh, Amish, and some of them come back, some of them stay out there. Same thing goes with uh, the Mormons. Some were raised Mormons. Some very strict people, you know, that their upbringing, uh, let's say they were in a very rigid religious order. It could be strict Catholic, Hasidim, Muslim, this. When you see people like that, when they're, when they come down, that may work. You could, that may work if you're a parent, you restrict them, you send them the Bible school and do this and do that. But sometimes you have the reverse effect when you restrict someone so much, they're going to go out and do <clears throat> almost everything. So that's the balance. Some people believe that total prohibition of the things that you don't want your kid to do is the way to do it. Just like, uh, just think of, I'll give you the first uh, example. In the Catholic Church, premarital sex. Right, sex, sex without love or without the intent for procreate is a sin. That's when I was younger. When I was very, uh, when I was in high school, they, they didn't even talk about it that much. They just said, "Listen, it's not for you. It's not for you." But what was the thing in the parochial school system in Philadelphia, the Catholic school system? They had a very high. Um, uh, a lot of girls getting pregnant at a wedlock. And obviously, uh, high school students. There were tons of them. I knew them all the time. There was uh, there were several girls I knew that did. Unfortunately, it wasn't. Unfortunately, unfortunately, I did not have the opportunity to be in a scare. I'm glad. When I say unfortunately, I mean I had to wait till college, and then I was smart enough to use. I would broke away that you know my freshman year of college and. A condom was the way to go. It was the, uh, a fix, a quick fix for a problem I seen arise among some of these people. And there was a couple girls, uh, there was one, at least one girl on my floor who became pregnant by her boyfriend and left school. So that, that prohibition thing you think it's going to work. Sometimes it has the opposite effect. You got the promise keepers, so it's real. Um, it's more of a uh, evangelical, evangelical thing where they promise to remain chaste until they find their true love, and then <clears throat> they ended up getting, you know, having a high rate of STDs because they're having uh, unprotected anal sex and uh, uh, um, you know, uh, oral sex and things like that. So, there's always unintended consequences to prohibition, uh, historically. Just like alcohol prohibition with the, uh, in, what was it, 1919, when the, uh, they had it passed an amendment that you could no longer, uh, alcohol was illegal in the United States, except in the use of uh, ceremonial rituals in the church, like the, the sacramental wine and stuff like that. But uh, what happened with prohibition? You have the uh, you have bootleggers. 
And the same thing's going on right now with, uh, we, we talked about this with drugs. There was one state, it's either Washington or Oregon, they uh, totally decriminalized uh, most drugs. So they could retest their uh, law enforcement to violent crimes and take the, take the drugs, or not bury them in steep because it's still a federal crime, right? So there's the feds that still be looking at you. That's the problem with marijuana laws with the state. It's a federal prohibited, uh, prohibited substance, marijuana. That's the reason why recently uh, you know, the House of Representatives is going to uh, have a bill where they're going to pass the uh, taking off of marijuana off the scheduled prohibited, uh, prohibited drugs. So a lot of people say, well, this is going to cause people to go and do whatever they whatever they want. They're going to just be people smoking pot all the time. That's not necessarily true to say. Look at it, alcohol and tobacco. <clears throat> Each year, tobacco usage goes down. And there's no prohibition, except that maybe a cost prohibition to the taxes being on it. Same thing for alcohol. Alcohol is probably always going to be a problem with that. But they, there is a prohibition driving under the influence. And they certainly became uh, much more stringent with the laws on that. And we'll see how that'll work. Actually, it probably helped the, uh, the growth of these uh, ride-sharing online things, Uber and Lyft and all those things are... You know, people are becoming more and more and say, well, I'm having too much drink. I am not driving. Well, down here in the Keys, like I said, all you have to do is to cure you of the need for having to drive when you're drunk is to go and look at our Monroe County Sheriff's Office uh, police blotter and, uh, you know, the mugshots. And this past week I was looking at I recognized... Uh, three people, three people. It is not a very big community down here. There's around 70,000 people in the Keys. And I recognize three people. And uh, one of them I saw within 24 hours of their arrest. Fortunately, it wasn't the day I was working. It was on a Tuesday, and I'm, I'm off on a Tuesday, so I didn't serve that person. Uh, not that that changes that. And uh, the point of is... Uh, being prohibited in laws or restrictions does not make it go away. It drives it underground. That's why you see, obviously, people say, well, you know, you can't just give your kids whatever they want to be prohibited. I say, yes, that's correct. That's why the parents around here, and there's a lot of parents around here, and there's a lot of different places, more well-off, it seems, uh, at the lower end and the higher end of socioeconomic scale are more free, uh, they're, they're, they're more free to give their children a longer leash where you let them drink in the house and things like that. I'd rather them do it in a home than secretly doing it. Well, how about if you say, you can't do it at home. I don't want you to do it out of the house. I understand you may try to experiment with it. If you do, don't drive. I don't want you, I still don't want you doing it. 
And don't give them tacit approval by having a party and purchasing alcohol for them. You being the cool parent, in the end, will not pay off. People don't remember, oh yeah, I remember, you'll end up, I mean, a lot of circumstances, a lot of your restrictions, you end up getting a serious uh, time. There's a lot of liability there. So, uh, there, there's a balancing act, and uh, I'm going to pause right now. I'll be right back. Hello, duty calls. You know, when the wife comes home with groceries, you have to unlock the door, and uh, she, she never knows what I'm up to. She always goes, what are you doing? Why are the doors locked? You afraid to be stolen? She probably thinks I'm doing that thing where you go to the bathroom, you call it masturbating there. But... Um, that guilty look that you have when you do that. But uh, just kidding. You know, that's not, uh, that wasn't the case. But uh, as we were talking about earlier, your prohibition and restrictions doesn't always work. So you have to lay down a kind of, uh, I guess, the rules beforehand and what happens with the rules. We didn't have any... Uh, we, you know, at 14, she hasn't been grounded or anything like that. She had her phone taken away from her for, um, I think, maybe a week during the pandemic so we can, uh, she concentrate on school. But that that's pretty much it. Uh, but, you know, some people say, you know, and we know some of her other friends are constantly at odds with their their, their parents. I was going to say adult over, overlords. That's what it seems like sometimes, doesn't it? Just trying to make everything they do uh, under surveillance where, you know, eventually you're going to have to let them go. I mean, you should, or you can be you know, one of those people that keep them locked in a room their whole lives, kind of like a, a Rapunzel Right? Is that the goal? Or is the goal to raise a child that makes the right, or raise a, a person who becomes an adult who makes their own decisions? And I was about to say makes all the right decisions. Why would I expect that someone to make all the right decisions? Because I, I certainly didn't make all the right decisions when I was growing up. And you, you, can't, you can't stop someone from making the wrong decisions. It's just a part of being human. You just hope that you give them enough coping skills that when they make the wrong decisions, they're able to admit they made a mistake and try to redress that. So, yeah, I guess that's the point I'm making. I just want her to be happy and able to make decisions and able to recognize when she makes a bad decision and able to come back when she made a wrong decision. And sometimes things happen... You didn't make a decision about it. Things just happened to you, and they're horrible things. Uh, and you cope with that, too. You, make, you, you, know, you have to make decisions on how you come back from adversity. So this is something that probably we need to talk about more in the house. That, you know, I, re- I really don't mind the maybe the minor mistakes you know as long as there's no evil bad intent 
But there was really evil intent. There would be no apology and no remorse. So you really, you don't really know if you have if you have a child out there and they're having difficulties and they don't feel like they can talk to you. You better find someone they can. So uh, this is, uh, I know, it's a little downer. It may not be as funny as it uh, normally is, but try to make it a little th- thought provoking. Uh, and fortunately for me, I uh, there's another thing I wanted to talk about when it comes to use of alcohol. You know, alcohol and drugs. Uh, the child looked to their parents to see, well, why can't I drink? You you drink. And you drink a lot sometimes, right? So, I mean, on my on my side, I, I don't drink at all now. Now, I got to be careful because I can say I don't want you to drink because I don't drink. No, that's not that's not the right answer. I say to her, I say, listen, some people can't handle it. I can't handle it. It's just like she has allergies. She can't eat pistachios or hazelnuts or things like that and I said you're not going to eat a pistachio because you know you're the effects of it I don't drink because I know the effects of it I know eventually I'll, I'm going to get uncontrollably intoxicated and you should become aware if you have that issue Luck, fortunately your, your father your biological father and your biological mother don't have those issues, and they don't run in the fam in their immediate family that we know of. So you don't have to worry about it. Just be responsible about it, you know. And when you're old enough to drive, you're not gonna you're not gonna drive with that. So uh, yeah, you can't. If you think you're gonna be able down here in the Keys stop your kid from doing something that's you know they're not old enough to do. You're mistaken. I mean, I hear stories and it's kind of funny. They laugh at it. The parents laugh at it. When their kids go to parties, when they're 16, 17 years old and there's booze at these parties. You know, when the parents are away and you know, they just, the, the cops raid it and they go run away. This is one of those cat and mouse games. And even some of the families will even participate by making sure that they're, they have all the with your Bud Light Zero, whatever, that club soda. Um, I can't even remember that stuff. White Claw. White Claw now, instead of Boone's Farm. Uh, It it was Boone's Farm or Mad Dog 2020 when I was uh, growing up. And then we had really cheap beer like Carling uh, Black Label or Pabst Blue Ribbon. And that's that's what you'd be sneaking around doing. Again, we put all in Philadelphia. And this time of year, it was cold. We go to the local beer distributor, wait for someone that looks kind of down on their luck. You know, give them ten bucks for a five dollar case. Say you keep the five, give us the case, and you know. You know. And and it, you, if you see them often, you know you're, you're pay for it. You see the guys, the guys who come up and do it for you. So and then we get the beer and we put in a put the beer in a trash bag and we're walking down the street with a trash bag carrying it like a case of beer in a trash ca- in, a, in a trash bag and then someone may have a joint or something like that we take it down even though we're in Philadelphia we had 
uh, we were in the northern reaches of Philadelphia, and there were some, still some woods, you know, some streams and stuff like that, and had trees surrounding them. And we'd go down there, and we had to build ourselves, uh, I guess we were 13, 14 uh, years old, and uh, we had built an in-ground uh, fort, a dugout. You put boards over to stop, had a little fireplace and stuff like that. We'd sit there and drink some pot. We weren't really good at designing fireplaces because the fireplace we had in there, whenever, you, whenever we tried to build a fireplace, first of all, it would smoke like hell. So if the cops were looking at us, it was like they just smelled a fire in the woods and they'd come looking for us. So we, you know, after a couple tries, we, we stopped doing that. We just sat in the ground, freezing our ass off sitting on upside-down five-gallon buckets or metal cans and uh, drink our beer and stuff like that and smoke our pot. So, yeah, that was real fun. That's what you Obviously, there was never any girls around. We were 13, 14 years old. You know, they, they, there was never girls say, hey, come down to the woods, come into the hole in the, in the ground and drink some beer with us. It never, never happened. Um, Every so often, though, one of the people's kids' parents would go out and we'd go over to someone's house. Um, there was this stoner we hung, hung out with, and uh, we had been drinking beer and smoking pot. Remember, 13, 14, some of our 15-year-olds, and, and if you had a person in their late teens show up, you're like, they, they were ancient. But a guy took a black cat, not a real black cat, a black cat, a firecracker, put it in his mouth and lit it well, like it was a joint acting all cool he was stoned and when it blew up he, uh, his eyes went wide a little and then came back down but it was funny you see the guy next day he had a uh, black powder burn around his mouth for a little while and uh, uh, he looked like he got kicked in the face by a horse um, he healed up eventually but that's Philly and that's with our parents telling us, uh, you know, don't drink it, smoke pot, and all that stuff. We were still doing it. So try your best and see what happens. I'd like to thank you for listening. This is Jim the Keys Bartender. Uh, we'll be back uh, this week. Either, uh, well, we'll have a couple more shows. And uh, I'll uh, ask you to share this show if you have an opportunity with your friends. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Take care. Bye. Come on, play music.